Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are in Parshat Emor this morning. We are at Leviticus 23.3. On six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred occasion. You shall do no work. It shall be a Sabbath of the Lord throughout your settlement. All right. Why are we getting this here? Because we got in verse, we got a verse earlier in verse two. Uh, God is saying to Moshe, "Tell the people, Elohim Mo'adei Adonai. These are the sacred times of Yud Hey Vav Hey." So, what is the first sacred time we get? Shabbat. 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 The most important sacred time we get. What starts it all is. Shabbat. And for the rabbis, Shabbat trumps everything. Shabbat is the holy day, and always Shabbat trumps any holiday. Can you find another Yeah, word? can you find another word? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Over now. It's more important. Shabbat wins. Every time, Shabbat wins. Shabbat Biden's Shabbat Biden's everything. So, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so, when we have uh, rules that you can't do on Shabbat, but you can on certain holidays, Shabbat wins. Always. Um, and I think pe- people don't always understand that, that Shabbat is the holiday, right? And even our holiest day, Yom Kippur, is called Shabbat Shabbaton, right? It's a Shabbos Shabbat, mm-hmm. like when they want to talk about how, how holy that day is. All right, so we get, um, sh- here we're also getting uh, Shabbat Shabbaton, Mikra Kodesh. You will call it, you will declare it Kodesh, holy all manner of work you will not do. Shabbati right? It is a Shabbat to Yudhe in all of your Moshevim, in all of your uh, settlements. Okay. These are the set times of the Lord, the sacred occasions which you shall celebrate each at its appointed time. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at twilight, there shall be a Passover offering to the Lord. And on the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you shall celebrate a sacred occasion. You shall not work at your occupations. Seven days, you shall make gifts to the Lord. The seventh day shall be a sacred occasion. You shall not work at your occupation. All right, some of this Torah portion may sound familiar. Mm-hmm. Why are we so familiar with this Torah portion? With this portion of the Torah portion? It's read on Pesach. It's read on holidays. So we get, we get the reading of the liturgical calendar as part of the celebration of the liturgical calendar. It's very Jewish. <laughs> We're celebrating a holiday. Let's read about the commandment to celebrate the holidays. Um, so we read this a lot. This is, but this point in the year is where it falls in our lectionary. Right? This this Torah portion. This is where it belongs in our regular reading of Torah. But we see it again and again and again throughout the year. So why did I start where I started and not at a few verses later where Heb Kal tells us to start at Yom Kippur? Because this is the beginning of the year, 
right? It doesn't make sense to me to jump into the middle of the year. We get Shabbat when we're talking about Mo'adei Kodesh, when we're talking about sacred times. The first thing we get is Shabbat. So a sacred time happens weekly. And then we get the beginning of the year. Because what, what does it say? Ele Mo'adei Adonai Mikra Kodesh, Ba'chodesh Arishon. In the first month of the year. So the first month of the year is what? Nisan. Huh. Okay, so the first month of the year is Nisan. And the first holiday of the year, the year begins. So we have Shabbat, of course, every week. The first major holiday of the year is? We get Passover. So the year begins in the spring. Hmm? Makes Makes sense. How come, Sarah? It's a beautiful beginning. It's a beautiful beginning. It's an agricultural society. It's what? It's an agricultural society. It's an agricultural society. So why... Why begin the year in the spring in an agricultural society? That's when you're planting for the year. So that's when you're planting for the year? It's actually when things are blooming. So it's when things are coming to fruition. It's when things are born, right, from the ground in, in the seasons of the year. So the world is coming back from winter. Right, because things bloom in the fall. Things bloom, you know, in other times in the summer. We have the barley harvest, but it's the first blooming of things, the first growth of things since the death of winter. And the lambs are born in the spring. So every every culture understands the rebirth that happens after the season where you can't grow anything. This cycle. Everybody understands that you know the world is reborn in the springtime. The, the, the ancient Israelite tradition was no different. Being agricultural, being pa- semi-nomadic pastoralists, and so you have animals who give birth in the spring. Th- this would have been the natural time to start the year. It would have been um, it would have been continuity with what they were doing when they were pagans, Canaanite pagans, right? So this is, this is the reconstructing by the Israelites of what had always been the beginning of the year, which is the spring, which makes complete and total sense. And in a way, Shabbat is a celebration of the beginning of everything. Absolutely, right? So Shabbat begins everything because Shabbat celebrates Creation. creation. We wouldn't have blooming in the spring if we didn't have creation. Traditionally, is Shabbat actually a multiple of seven days from the end of creation? Huh? Shabbat comes every seven days. Right. Right? Traditionally, is it actually a multiple of seven days going all the way back to the first seventh day? I'm confused. Does anybody understand the question that can explain it to me? The seventh day of creation, and then you add another seven, and then you add another seven, and another seven, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm saying traditionally is actually when we say Shabbat now, the actual anniversary, theoretically, of those seven days. Yeah. 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 The exact. Yeah. That's why it's so Sorry, didn't state it well. Yeah, no, it's okay. My brain is offline. (laughs) But yes, so it's the anniversary of the seventh day. God Shabbating Mm -hmm. and Unifashing, 
right? So God is Shabbating and Yinafashing, and so we commemorate that every seventh, seventh day. And Imitatio Dei says we do what God does, and so we Shabbat and we Yinafash mm-hmm. every seventh day. Yes. Do we have any idea when the actual calendar was solidified and codified? The, the Jewish calendar. Um. Uh, so. How far back in the tribal times did they observe this same calendar that we have now? I'm so I'm so sorry. Like, I think I should have taken um, a decongestant or something oh, to give yeah. me a little, so, so the synapses would connect. I, I, I'm not sure I'm understanding the question. Canaanite pagan religion evolves slowly right. into Israelite practice. Yes. It is the same calendar and it continues it, 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 we still ha- have form, it. In the same well, the moon, form the moon. In what for, When you say form, what does well, that mean? The months the, and the, the skipping uh, having the extra months to make oh, up the days. Oh, you're talking about that piece. Because the months have to do with the moon. That theoretically has been Wait, there since. The, when was that codified? It, there's no codification. This what what we have here is what we observe. Okay. We, right. It, it 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 continues from biblical times to now. Okay. So right? we haven't changed. Anything. We have not changed anything except except what? Except our year begins in the fall. Oh, yeah. So that change happens, right? as part of the Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. Well, which year, Amy, begins in the fall? The year began here in the spring. The year began in the spring. When do we start the new year in our tradition now? In the fall. But is that a change? Yes. Yes, it's a change. When they are exiled to Babylonia, they are no longer an agriculturally based, really, society. And the Babylonians have this coronation festival for the king and the god and blah, blah, blah in the fall. That is when the Israelites locate their beginning of their sacred year in the fall. Calendars tell you so much about a culture. Uh, all the different cultures, the Mayan calendar, for instance, and some of the other cultures in Buddhism and so forth, tell you a lot about how the culture is structured. This one does too, but I just wondered how long it was structured in the form that it is now. From since early Israelite times, right? And it's it's based on stuff before that, right? It's based on Mesopotamian building on yes. It's based on Mesopotamian understandings. I mean, like the names of the month don't come from Hebrew. Mm-hmm. It's Proto-Hebrew, right? It goes back to to stuff that isn't Israelite. Okay. And it, it emerges out of that, and we still we still observe this liturgical calendar, with the exception of we now added Rosh Hashanah as a thing. Because what is what do we? Oh, we'll get there. It's kind of a nebulous area in a way. They left the astrological sign Aries, and when they went to the fall to begin the year, under what astrological sign? What do you mean when you say they left Aries? When when they switched over from having the spring festival as the beginning of the calendar to the fall, because of Rosh Hashanah, they would have gone, astrologically speaking, from Aries, the domination of the ram in the spring, uh, 
to which sign in the fall? Uh, but, but the astrological shift does not appear in our tradition. At all. At all. Not at all. It, not to say it isn't there, but, it, but the, the shift from what astrological reality would have been happening in the beginning of the year is completely meaningless to the tradition when it moves into the fall. There is nothing about that. Nothing. Yes. So we so we have ancient synagogues with astrological mazalot on the floor, right? So we know that it was part of their consciousness. Those symbols were part of their consciousness. But remember, it's a lunar-based calendar. So when they're looking at what sun sign is dominant, it's it's. Do you know what I mean? It's a different relationship. Their relationship is lunar to the seasons. And so what, what sun sign is ruling any particular time is not very... We, we don't have it. Look, I'll, I'll put it that way. Babylonian captivity would be 100%. 100%. And so, and so I'm not saying the astrological stuff isn't a part of Israelite consciousness, but it is, it is not something that made it... Into, into what we have. It wasn't important enough in terms of the relationship to sacred times, lunar times, for us to have any writing or anything about that. And actually, it made them very nervous because of religious ties and other traditions to the astrological signs, which of course then get tied to gods. And, you know, so, so it made them very nervous. Even though we have it on the floor of synagogues, it made, it made them very nervous. To, so they, they didn't want to overemphasize, right, any kind of other power other than yud heh vav Aren't there warnings in Deuteronomy against astrology? No. No? Well, reading the stars, I thought. No? What? Pro- there's lots of prohibitions, yeah. but we have to be very careful about the terminology, oh. right? So it, you can't be a soothsayer, you right. can't perform magic, you can't, mm. you know, but the rabbis can make a carob tree fly by the window. That's not magic. <laughs> huh? Right? You know, make, if my halakha is according to me, make the river turn back and flow the other way, and that happens in the Talmud. <laughs> That's not magic. Okay. Right? So we have to be very careful about our, about our terminology. Yes. Not to beat this to death, but, uh, but at the time that uh, we're talking about biblical time, weren't a lot of the predecessor calendars pure lunar? Uh, I don't remember, but a, a lot. I'm a not lot, sure. A lot of people in that region still stick with pure lunar. So this yes, was, certainly in the region there were. Because about it's act, rectified. It's rectified. It's it's it's, and I don't. When did that? Did that come in Babylonia? Because there were some great astronomers in that in that era. I mean, somebody came up with a really it, good idea. It had to be rectified already by the writing of this text because Passover never happens in the summer. Mm-hmm. Right. right? So it, it had to already be rectified. Was it the Israelis? I mean, was it the Jews who did it? Or, I mean, where, where, I don't know where it came from. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it an ancient... Invention. It's an ancient, right, understanding. You're about adding the extra months. Well, no. I, I'm just making... Like, you Ramadan moves on the calendar Jews because it's a purely lunar system, right? Yeah. But Passover can't happen in the summer. Because right. we know when the, the wheat harvest is. And it, the Passover had to stay at the wheat harvest. And Shavuot had to stay at the barley harvest. So if things moved too much, you wouldn't, your festivals wouldn't be on the harvest days when they're supposed to be. It, right. 
Um, so the uh, so the year we, we have beginning in the spring, and let's see what, what's our first. In the first month, so this is Nisan. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, why is it on the 14th day of the month? Because God says so. Because God said so. Always a good answer, Bert. Full moon. Every festival happens on the full moon. If the new moon is the first day of the month, Always the 14th day of the month is the full moon. If you have a pilgrimage festival, you don't want people running into each other as they're leaving their tent to brush their teeth. So you put it on a full moon, yes? All right. So the first day of the month, the 14th day of the month, very important, full moon, twilight, there shall be what happens then? Pesach Ladonai. So the 14th day, the holiday is Pesach. You give a Pesach to Adonai. And on the 15th day of the month, what happens? You begin the festival of Matzot. Chag Hamatzot begins. Day 14 is Pesach. Day 15 begins Chag Hamatzot, a seven day festival of matzot right so you don't have to just take my word for it whenever you hear me say two holidays were put together it's right here it is not an eight day holiday there are two holidays here the 14th is Pesach the 15th begins the seven day festival of Chag HaMatzot yeah so you preserve the semi-nomadic pastoralist tradition of the lambing and you preserve the the observance of the agricultural festival of matzot, of only using new wheat from the new harvest, meaning no sourdough, meaning no leavening, meaning matzah. Yeah? All right, so here we have two holidays. The first two holidays are Pesach and Chag HaMatzot. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days for Chag HaMatzot. On the first day, you will celebrate a sacred occasion and you shall not work. So the first day is Yontif, right? Seven days, you shall make offerings by fire to Adonai. The seventh day shall be a sacred occasion. You shall not work. The first day and the seventh day is Yontif, meaning you're, not, you're prohibited from working. In Israel, but here it's more than... For reconstructionists, it's one, right? So, but for everybody else, it's two. Uh, but for reconstructionists, we we follow this this calendar, and we have one day in the beginning as Yantif, and one day at the end is Yantif. The two day business starts right when they didn't weren't sure about the signal fires and blah 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 blah. So we uh, two days, so we are sure that we're doing it on the right day. So, but. But Mordechai Kaplan said, we have calendars now, people. And satellites. And satellites. We know, we know when the new moon is. We don't need a witness to the new... Right? So we don't need somebody in Israel to witness the new moon and then light signal fires. We have a calendar. So let's, let's do what the book says. And the internet. And we have the internet. There you go. Well, Mordechai Kaplan did not have the internet. Let us be clear. All right. Uh, verse 9. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving uh, to you and you reap its harvest, 
You shall bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priest. He shall elevate the sheaf before the Lord for acceptance in your behalf. The priest shall elevate it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day that you elevate the sheaf, you shall offer as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb of the first year without blemish. The grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of a measure of choice flour with oil mixed in, a gift of pleasing odor to the Lord. And the libation with it shall be of wine, a quarter of a hen. Until that very day, until you have brought the offering of your God, you shall eat no bread or parched grain or fresh ears. It is a law for all time throughout the ages in all your settlements. Okay. So we get the Ktsartem et Ktsira. So you're harvesting your harvest. Vehevetem et Omer Reshit. You will bring Omer, right? From the first of your harvest. Vehenif et Omer Lifne Adonai. And the priest shall. Hanif, the sheaf before Adonai. Okay. Which means? <laughs> Rita, why are you looking at me like that? Because I don't know that word. Because you what don't know that, that word. Because this is the context in which we get that word. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know this word, mm-hmm. right? Um, so what does it mean, tnufa? Will you see the word tnufa when we talk about the heave offering? So other places it's called heaving, right? Here it's called elevating. So vehenif. So we're not sure. We're not sure. Some people want to suggest it's placed on the hands of the priest. Oh, you, you also see it being a wave offering, mm-hmm. right? So it's placed on the hands of the priest who then does something with it and order <laughs> is that what that looked like yeah. um, so he does something with it that seems to indicate that he is designating what's been put in his hands to the deity what that action is we don't know but we see it other places where a chunk of the animals put on his hands and it is a wave offering a heave offering it's lifted up right Something about lifting up um, and some kind of physical, you know, thing to indicate that this belongs to Yudhevavhe. All right, so we are right now, right? What, what's the period that we're in now after, between Pesach and Shavuot? The Omer. Oh, right. There it is. That's where it comes from, right? The Omer. We are counting from the time that sheath is lifted we're going to count to get to Shavuot. Shavuot. All right, so let's look on it. 15, let's look at it. And from the day on which you bring the sheaf of elevation offering, the day after the Sabbath, you shall count off seven weeks. They must be complete. You must count until the day after the seventh week, 50 days. Then you shall bring an offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your settlements two loaves of bread as an elevation offering, Each shall be made of two-tenths of a measure of choice flour, baked after leavening, as first fruits to the Lord. With the bread you shall present as burnt offerings to the Lord, seven yearling lambs without blemish, one bull of the herd, and two rams with their grain offerings and libations, a gift of pleasing odor to the Lord. You shall also offer one he-goat as a purification offering, and two yearling lambs as a sacrifice of well-being. 
The priest shall elevate these, the two lambs, together with the bread of first fruits as an elevation offering before the Lord. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. On that same day you shall hold a celebration. It shall be a sacred occasion for you. You shall not work at your occupations. This is a law for all time in all your settlements throughout the ages. Okay. So this holiday that we're getting, you're going to count from the day of that lifting up of that sheaf, you're going to count seven weeks. So seven sets of seven days. The day after that is day 50. So seven times seven is 49. The day after that is day 50. And so what holiday is that? Okay, does it say that here? No. No. Nope. So that's why we call it Shavuot. Because what else are you going to call it? There, there's no name. Call it Memorial Day. There's no name here. And this is the only holiday that we get that doesn't give us a date. So when was that made up? What? I don't know. <laughs> but this, but if you're going to call it that holiday that happens after Passover, it's the one that has something to do with you count a bunch of weeks. Shavuot. Shavuot is week. Shavuot is weeks. No, you're not. Is it here? No. No. It was added. Ah, it was added. By whom? The rabbis. <laughs> Get it? Receiving Torah on Shavuot is added by the rabbis. Why? Huh? To give it weight and meaning. It doesn't have enough weight and meaning that God says this is Moadei, one of the Moadei Kodesh, one of the holy times. That doesn't give it enough weight and meaning. But it needs a name. Well, it needs a name. Okay, we called it the, the week's holiday, but Shavuot. But all of our holidays have a, have a historical. Oh, context. all of our holidays have a historical meaning as well. Why? Rita, it just says do Pesach. It just says do Chag Hamatzot. It does not have anything about history, nor does Shavuot. But why did the rabbis do it? Isn't it enough? Give it more weight. Because we're a people, not, not just a religion. Because they weren't agricultural anymore. Huh. Mm-hmm. So if it is an agricultural festival and you are working on Wall Street, <laughs> what is your connection to these holidays? Zippo. And what's going to happen to the observation of these holidays? They will go away. So you have to do something to make these holidays relevant to the people working on Wall Street. Yes? Flight attendants will not relate to a harvest festival. (laughs) Brain surgeons will not relate to holding up a sheaf and counting 50 days from that till the next harvest, right? Zero meaning. So the rabbis, in their great wisdom, say, of course, we, we celebrate these because it's God's appointed times. Of course. And that would be enough. 
Dayenu. But we are so lucky <laughs> that it works out. <laughs> The Torah, if you count very carefully what month, blah, 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 how when they came out of Egypt, blah, 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 when you go through this very complicated calculation, we are so blessed. <laughs> the Torah was given, can you believe it? On Shavuot. <laughs> can you believe it? So we are so lucky as a people that on our sacred occasion, it was that very day that God, that Moshe comes down with Torah. That very day. And there were great wisdom. Right? Like one time, I remember one time in high school, Yeshiva, I can't. One time, they walked us through the calculation. I was like, what? So, so if you look carefully how they derived that it was Shavuot, that Moshe got Torah, it is brilliantly convoluted right reverse, in such a way that like, oh, but of course. Hmm? it was reverse engineered it was reverse engineered exactly so we have the giving of Torah on Shavuot we have the exodus from Egypt on Pesach we got one more holiday we got Sukkot what are we going to do with that <laughs> Susan's like, we're gonna, we're gonna eat in a hut. Absolutely. That's not an accident. It is not an accident. At the end of the holiday of Sukkot, we have a holiday called Simchat Torah, rejoicing in the Torah. We finish the book of Deuteronomy. We begin the book of Genesis. When the rabbis are looking for what speaks to them, it is not agricultural. It's Torah. Right? What's going to keep preserve the Jewish people? What are the Jewish people going to be using to actually keep themselves a people? Torah. So Shavuot becomes about receiving Torah, about revelation, and Sukkot becomes about pointing towards the end of the holiday when we end Torah for a cycle and begin again. Right? The rabbis in their genius transform the holidays from agricultural observances to something related to Torah. These would have been the Babylonian era. These are the rabbis, right, who now have control once the temple is destroyed. I think there's another genius idea at work here, and it is that to keep a people together, you have regularly scheduled holidays throughout the year to bring people together. Every tradition has it. Terrestrial human culture. That's terrestrial human culture. Every culture ever has some more than others. appointed times where you yeah. m- you bring the people together. We have them almost once a month or every other month, which is certainly more than Christianity does. I don't know. Catholics have a ton yeah, of they do <laughs> ton of holidays. Yeah. Um, all right. So where are we now? 22. 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap all the way to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So we went from spring, Passover, and Chag Hamatzot. 
Now we went through summer, whether you knew that or not. <laughs> we went 50 days, so we're in the summer where we have what we call Shavuot, right? The Feast of Weeks. <coughs> now you'll understand why when you see something translated the Feast of Weeks. Now you know why. Okay, so Shavuot, Feast of Weeks. Then what are we coming to now? Harvest. We get a tag. We get a tag for both spring and summer. What is the tag? When you're, you're having harvest festivals, we get this tag that when you have your harvest festivals, P.S. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget. You do not get to reap all the way to the edges because that belongs to the poor, not to you. This was in a reading last week or two. Correct. Mm -hmm. So we are getting a tag because we already got the commandment. But we're being reminded, don't forget, people, when you harvest and you have your celebrations, don't forget. You don't go all the way to the edges. And we get that tag every Rosh Hashanah with our food drive, too. Yes, we do. We make a tag, right? All right, 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the Israelite people thus. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe complete rest, a sacred occasion commemorated with loud blasts. You shall not work at your occupations, and you shall bring a gift to the Lord. Okay. So we're in the seventh month. So where are we now? We're in the fall. In the fall, what do we have here? What's it called here? Yom No. Day of the no. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. It's the day of the time. We haven't read that yet. No. Did you hear that come out of Bert's mouth? No, you did not. <laughs> Speak to the Israelite people in the seventh month. On the first day of the month, you shall observe complete rest. A sacred occasion commemorated with loud blasts. You shall not work at your occupations, and you shall bring an offering by fire to Adonai. What's this holiday called? It's not called anything. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> it's a trick question. <laughs> Keeps y'all fresh. Come on, come on. Um, it's not called anything. It's nothing. Shavuot again. <laughs> it's no. a nameless moed. It's a it's a moed kodesh. It's a it's a sacred time. It's not called anything. Here. Here, I'm talking here in Amor. It's in the in the priestly writing up of the calendar. It's called nothing. It's called the seventh month, the first day of the month. It's the first day of the seventh month. Period. That's it. This is the liturgical calendar that per, that was persisting in Israel. For a really long time. And this is still the agricultural calendar. Yes. Yeah. So the first day they refer to goes back to the spring. It's the seventh month from the spring. Correct. Yeah. It is the seventh month from Nisan. Right. New moon. So now we're in what? Tishrei. Tishrei. Right? Tishrei, these names are not Israelite. They go back. All right. So that's all we get. Now let's go on. 26. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Mark the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a sacred occasion for you. You shall practice self-denial and you shall bring a gift to the Lord. 
You shall do no work throughout the day, for it is a day of atonement on which expiation is made on your behalf before the Lord your God. Indeed, any person who does not practice self-denial throughout that day shall be cut off from his kin. And whoever does any work throughout that day, I will cause that person to perish from among his people. Do no work whatever. It is a law for all time throughout the ages in all your settlements. It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you shall practice self-denial. On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall observe this your Sabbath. Okay, so the Day of Atonement, the priest is going to make kapara for you, and so you're going to get kapared. <laughs> Terrific. What do Israelites do? How do Israelites celebrate the Day of Atonement? Self-denial? Ha. The only thing we are told is we are to practice V'initem et nafshotechem You shall afflict your souls. Fasting? Nothing is written. About fasting. Nothing is written. <coughs> you shall afflict your souls, is all it says. Oh, we give up that fasting. <laughs> Jody, be very careful right now. Be very, very careful right now. Um, so, again, so the rabbis are left to figure out well, we don't, we don't get compared for by the priest anymore. There's no temple. There's no ritual whereby the people get expiation made for them. So what happens to the Day of Atonement? What were the Jews supposed to do? Do it ourselves. There's no priest. Mm-hmm. There's no holiday. But we have to have the holiday because it says it right here. So what's left? The only thing left after the temple is You shall afflict your souls. That's the only thing we have left. So the rabbis ask, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to afflict your soul? How, what are we going to tell them to do on the 10th day of the 7th month? Uh, watch bad television? Like, what, what does it mean? Like, make them watch reality TV for like half the day. So what, to afflict their souls. So clearly the rabbis decide, okay, well, what is self-affliction? Refraining from the ordinary. Refraining from the ordinary in the case of eating and drinking. Mm-hmm. And it's refraining from pleasure mm-hmm. in, in other cases. Right? So what did they decide? We're not going to eat or drink. We're going to refrain from that because that's going to afflict us. What else did they say we shouldn't do? Sex. Well, work is, work is for all of them. Yeah. Sex. Sex. So no pleasure. So if you're going to afflict your souls, then you're refraining from those things that give us pleasure. No so, perfume. Huh? No perfume. So <laughs> just like sex, <laughs> no perfume. Right. It's actually not no perfume. That, that's not the prohibition. The prohibition is against anointing oneself. So if you anoint yourself, it's generally with oil that smells good, right? 
Um, and so no anointing. Like so, we grew up. We weren't allowed to use lotion, right? You don't. You don't. You don't put things on you that generally were a way of spoiling yourself. And even if it was considered normative, right? Even if it was normal that everybody would have put that on every day, still it is refraining from something that gives us pleasure, which is we don't stink, right? So you have to be hungry and thirsty. You have to stink. You can't have the pleasure of marital relations. What else? No shaving. <laughs> no bathing. We don't bathe. We don't bathe, right? Because that was a luxury. That was considered like a pleasurable added thing, right? But you must take medicine. Of, of course. You must, of course. Right. You must take medicine, of course. No leather. Ah, the refraining from leather. What's that about? Animals. We are morning. <coughs> do, do, do. So what is it? All right. So it's the sun. Is it morning? Don't know. I don't. I actually don't know. Um, animals. So what? What? What's that? So I think it's about respecting animals and not using their body parts. Except we do. Well, on on Yom Why not? If we wear leather shoes all the time. We wear leather belts. We we make our tents out of leather. So but that's why our, our comfort too? The shoes and the belts. And the t- it's all for our comfort. If you could afford it, your shoes were made of leather. If you could afford it, you had leather other stuff. It was expensive. It was a luxury. So you don't engage in. In flaunting, you know, in wearing and enjoying things that are luxurious. So that included leather. And the rabbis add, you know, I know we kill them and scrape their skin and put it in the sun and dry it and tan it and cut it and wear it. Yes. But you know, maybe on Yom Kippur, it's not such a good idea to come before the Holy Blessed One as we're looking for atonement, wearing something we chopped up and scraped to put on our feet. I think the hardest thing about Yom Kippur is what you have to do in your head and with other people, not denying food, but admitting that you've really made mistakes and going to those people and saying, I really am Absolutely. Sorry for what I've done. Absolutely. But that's not here. Yeah, that is not here. No, but if we're adding things that make us right. uncomfortable, that certainly I think is certainly does. What about mink coats? The irony the irony of this is when I was young. And I'd see all these people coming in tennis shoes. Okay, and here I got I got to tell you, this one drives me crazy. I have to tell you, if you're gonna wear tennis shoes on Yom Kippur, they shouldn't be leather. I don't get it. I see all these people coming in in leather tennis shoes. Why? If you're gonna wear leather, wear your nice ones. Why are you, why are you wearing? Tennis shoes, Dafka, on the holiest day of the year. The only reason we wear tennis shoes is because we're wearing canvas. 
It's like hilarious to me. Huh? And their wives have meat coats. And so, and so I grew up saying all these people come in canvas shoes and meat coats. <laughs> it's like, what? What? Right? Because it's Wisconsin. Because it's Wisconsin. I grew up in Atlanta, but I grew up in Atlanta. But it was the day that everyone had a new hat. Women had a new hat. They had a new suit. They had. It was the dressiest, like you know, most showy holiday of the year. All right. My mother always had a new hat and new suit, right, and new shoes for Yontif, of course. Right, so it, like it is this crazy way that we <laughs> continually, as human beings, like just don't get it, right? Like, or, or or we just are who we are. We have our tendencies, but it's hilarious to me that you know, like you're going to come with, without wearing leather, but you're wearing how many dead animals <laughs> on your back, right? With, in your, with your mink coat. I think, Amy, I remember in Chicago that Yom Kippur meant that the Cadillacs, the new Cadillacs, were coming. Yeah, right? Exactly right. New Cadillacs that you'd park down the road and walk the rest of the way to Shul so no one should see you driving on Yunta. Exactly, yes. Sheldon. The thing is that the penalty is so severe. Yeah. Yes. So it is very clear that from very early on, Yom Kippur was the, the thing. Right? It was a defining holiday, right? That you'll be cut off from your kin if you don't observe it, right? So it is a very serious thing. Yes. Right? So very clear. So if if Shabbat is the most important holiday, why aren't these prescriptions more so for not keeping Shabbat than they are for Kippur, which has to be ranked number two. What happens if you don't keep Shabbat? You die. You die. You're stoned. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? Just to be clear. Is that, is that severe enough for okay. you? Being cut off from your kin, okay, maybe terrible. It may be a blessing, but stoned? That's really bad. That doesn't mean marijuana. Yeah, it did. Yes, you were, you were put to death. It was treason. Oh, I thought stone. No, 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 not that stone. Why did the stone go to the 14th day or when the moon is We don't know. We don't know. Because it doesn't appear very often, does it? That no. celebration on the 10th day of it. No. So possibly 10 is another number of fullness. Fullness. We're not, we're not told. We're not told. All right. So let's go to 33. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the Israelite people, On the 15th day of the seventh month, there shall be a feast of booths to the Lord to last seven days. The first chase shall be a sacred occasion. You shall not work at your occupations. Seven days you shall bring gifts to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall observe a sacred occasion and bring a gift to the Lord. It is a solemn gathering. You shall not work at your occupations. All right. So we have here Chag HaSukot, the festival of booths. To Susan, to go back to your point, why do we celebrate the Feast of Booths? What's the reason? Well, wasn't it because it was the harvest time and people brought their their harvested crops and yes. What, what's the reason we're given here that we celebrate Sukkot? 
Because God says so. There's no reason. <laughs> There's no reason. <laughs> God says so. Why do, what do we teach our kids about being in Sukkot? Oh. Fragility of the world. Traveling in the wilderness. That's why we make Sukkot. Because it was the time where it was just us and God. We were only dependent on God. God took care of us. And so we make Sukkot. And we live in these fragile booths. We leave our permanent dwelling. Blah, 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 blah. It's all rabbinic. It's all rabbinic. Not just Simchas Torah. The whole reason for Sukkot is historical. It is the time of the wandering in the wilderness. Why did why did the rabbis make Sukkot follow hard on the heels of Yom Kippur, the ten days of the time? Ha, 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 ha. A very good question. It was not the rabbis. It's here. It's here. Ah. <laughs> so why we get? In the fall, we get on the seventh month, there's a lot going on. On the first day, you've got Yontif and something about blasts. And then we got the Day of Atonement happening on day 10, which is a pretty intense thing about afflicting blah, blah, blah. And then hard on the heels of that comes Sukkot. What's up with that? Relaunch. (laughs) Well, there's an intimacy in being in a booth with family and friends and that would be making up for the stress of So Sarah says if you're going to be hanging out together in the sukkah, that's intimate that's a good thing that's a good time and it's a reward for having suffered on the day of atonement right, you're close <laughs> What happens on Sukkot? What happens on these holidays? Food. Food. You're bringing an offering, which means you're going to eat meat. You're going to celebrate every culture that has a festival. You can imagine, right? Forever this has been. It's not just Jew. Forever for all human civilizations ever. When you have a festival, what are you going to do? Eat. You're gonna play music, you're gonna sing, you're gonna dance, you're gonna have a party. What comes after this holiday? For us, rabbinically, what, ha- what in this system, what comes after Sukkot? Winter. Winter. What happens in winter? We don't have much food. You're starved. Nothing. Right? There's no holiday in winter. Robert, you're looking confused. <laughs> was this the big celebration of we had a great year? Thank heavens, we've had enough food for the winter. We have enough food for the winter. So we're going to have a huge party because this is the last holiday of the year. Because winter is coming. This winter is coming. Exactly. <laughs> well, but it's also, thank you, Lord, for sustaining yeah, 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 yeah. For, for having uh, we had a good year we yeah. got stuff in the freezer thank you God we have a full cellar with root vegetables you know, or what, fill, you know whatever it is we had a great time this year the year's over this is the end of the year so it's not just hard on the heels of Yom Kippur say some scholars it's actually Sukkot is the whole point 
Sukkot is the holiday of the year. You've got your harvest, you're going to make it through the winter, you, you think back, you take out your scrapbook, what happened this year, let's process, like, how, what kind of a year was it for, like, all that stuff is happening at Sukkot. It's a gratitude. Now, now, if we start at Sukkot, now ask me your question, or you answer your question. The goal is Sukkot, the party of Sukkot. Now answer me why this is here. You made it through. You're, you have escaped the affliction, and now it's time to party. It's Mardi Gras. Okay, we have Mardi Gras. Why back up? If, we're, if we start with Mardi Gras, we're starting with the reality of the harvest. They didn't make that up, right? The harvest is the harvest. It's when stuff grows. So they didn't make up Sukkot. Sukkot is based on what's growing. What they made up was something right before that. So it isn't, why does Sukkot follow the Day of Atonement? The question is, Sukkot is what it is, because that's when things grow. The question is, why is the Day of Atonement placed? It's the year-end review. It's the year-end review. Ah. If you're heading towards Sukkot, they add a very serious accounting of the soul a very serious for us accounting of the soul as the year end let's go back pre-rabbinic we're in an agricultural society we're heading towards the big party at the end of the year why is Yom Kippur here what does Yom Kippur do again helps us appreciate what does Yom Kippur do what does it do it gets rid of the sins so you can party. So you can party. Right? That, that is why Yom Kippur is placed before Sukkot. The big party at the end of the year, you want to go into that feeling like you can party and you want to know that you are free as a people of sin. Everything has been cleaned and purified ritually. The presence of the divine can dwell here. Let's party. Yeah? So Yom Kippur is not the point. Yom Kippur prepares you for Sukkot. Now... The rabbis were so smart that they put a historical thing to every holiday because without, with, what's happened to Sukkot for us? Yes. <laughs> Again, we have to go to shul? Are you kidding me? And we're going to be outside? Like, really? There's bees. There's, I mean, Sukkot is nothing for us. What has stayed is Yom Kippur. But we have break fast. Which what has stayed is a sense that we need to be purified of sin. That never went away. The problem for me is then we miss the party. Right. The point of doing all this hard affliction, apologizing to each other, owning up to our junk, the point of that is to feel free enough to then as a community have a sacred observance of rejoicing. Uh, but isn't that selling short 
what we're supposed to do on the Day of Atonement, which is uh, should be you know central, you know, cleansing ourselves um, rather than preparing for a party. No, no, I don't think so. I think it's, we have to do the hard work. It doesn't sell it short to say, and then you're going to go into your final celebration, your final holy time of the year. I don't think it sells it short. I think we've overemphasized it now. That we, I mean, I, so I don't mean to make it sound utilitarian, if that's what you're saying. I don't mean to cheapen it by saying, Yom Kippur serves, you know, to get you to the to the banquet hall. But but I feel like we've lost something in going. Okay, break fast, yay! We're gonna eat. Nobody really eats at break fast. First of all, you take three bites and you're full. And it's just we. I, huh? You eat? I said, speak for yourself. Speak for myself. Okay, I take three bites and I'm done. Like I just, I'm like, whatever. But and I collapse. You can imagine, I collapse. But, um, but I feel like we've missed. Like we've done all this work. Where's where's the communal celebration of we fixed it? We did it again. <laughs> like we. We dug deep, we afflicted ourselves, we made it through, we apologized, and now we're going shopping for back to school clothes. Mm-hmm. Well, like what, there's, do want, what do you want to do then? What would you like us to do? I hear a high holiday sermon. Here's the high holiday sermon. You use the word party, and I guess maybe that's what some people are reacting to, but uh, my sense of what that celebration was is being thankful for every one of them are for having a good yes year. every one of them are whether it's the, the good agricultural health, gratitude good festival yes you know uh, yes with that that is something that we have lost is uh, in, general. Huh? in general in general yes yeah, so what do we tend to do what do we tend to do we call this now Rosh Hashanah. We're thankful for the year. We're thankful for our friends. We're thankful for our health. We're thankful for another year. And then we're going to suffer. Right. Do you see how bass backwards that is? But I, I, thought, I thought that if you, if you needed to do Rosh Hashanah so you could, do, so you could be, so you could get through uh, the Day of Atonement. No. In other words, um, wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's what we've... We've made that up because oh, okay. because we've lost right we we've lost the relationship between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Now that this became Rosh Hashanah during the Babylonian exile, now we got to figure out the relationship between this and this. So we we started to overemphasize the relationship between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Not overemphasize. I shouldn't judge. I'm just saying. That shift happens because we no longer celebrate an agricultural festival that we're so grateful we have enough food and we're going to make it and blah, 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 blah. We don't have it anymore. So now it becomes about doing all that gratitude stuff on Rosh Hashanah, right? right? And then then 10 days later we go into... Forgive us even though we're worthless. It's a bizarre way to start the year, people. And all I'm saying is that's not how it was designed. 
What we're reading, I'm not saying it's better or worse, what we're reading is how it was designed. So that you have the the harvest, you back up, the last harvest of the year, you back up, and you have your big let's get it right day. That makes complete sense to me. Once you divorce Yom Kippur from Sukkot, it makes less intuitive sense, right? And and you're you're lifting up this first day, and 10 days later, you're going to do all this affliction. I think it makes more sense for Yom Kippur to precede your, your celebrating, your festival. And we do it now backwards. And so there's lots of explanations, believe me, for why we do it this way. Unlike, unlike New Year's where you get drunk and drink champagne. And blah, 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 blah. Unlike that, we begin the new year. How do we want to be? How do we want to live? <laughs> Well, you're president of the board of the rabbis. Can't you change? Yeah, can't you do something about that, Mickey? Well, with Sukkot, it's also a question of completion and then rejuvenation. We're completing the cycle of reading the Torah. We're finished, but we're starting off a new, brand new year. A new, a new year of reading. Of reading. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's 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 just a little sad to me that that we don't have much going on anymore they after do, we're done with all this Yom Kippur business. They do, when they talk about here, they talk about 10 days before the Day of Atonement and they say, but it, it's just not mentioned because that came later that we've decided it was the new year. Right? What? <laughs> it is written here. We did read it that um, 10 days before the Day of Atonement. We have something. Yeah, it says something with loud blasts. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But it was clearly not, if I'm correct, the, the New Year. Correct. Right. The New Year was Pesach. Of course, Pesach, right? Right. And this so is the, the loud blast business is likely about, ooh, it's the month of exactly. Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Right, right, right. It's that month. People, yeah. <laughs> wake up, pay attention, right? So likely that's why we have loud blasts on the first day of that month. And were they the shofar? Was it a shofar blast? We're, we're not told. But it no, it doesn't have to be. It could be trumpets. Oh. We don't know. Trumpets greeted Moses when he came down. Right. Likely it was trumpets. Because that's how you, the king. The king is here, or what, you know, whatever you, when you really want, or, or alarm, or right. wake up, okay. something's happening. You blew trumpets. Weren't they? They also horns. Though I mean, they didn't have brass trumpets then. Sure, they did. They did. They had silver, of course. So when you when when they went to war, they blast. They blew a certain blast on the trumpet. Huh? Okay. I don't know the reference, but okay. I'll trust you on that. When did these instruments get created, and how did they evolve? Because I didn't know there were trumpets in yeah in the desert. Oh, okay, stop right there. <laughs> Judy, you never saw Charles Manesco. They brought them along with the oh, timbrels. Oh, that's right, Charles Manesco. They came with the timbrels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of harps, strings. And wooden instruments. And when? When are we talking? When are we talking? Thousands of years back. <laughs> All right. They didn't wander in the desert and blow trumpets. 
<laughs> no, I know. <laughs> but, but they but had in the era that we're describing, I, I just never thought about tubas and trumpets and clarinets. Okay, I'm not talking a trumpet like just some Armstrong. Right. I'm talking a long silver horn. Okay. For sure. Right, right. Those old ones that the Buddhists had. Well, yeah, they had long chrome horns, but they didn't have any. Or brass, right? You you had you had ways to make noise with something metal, (laughs) Um, and I'm not saying that's the case. I'm saying we don't know. We made up the shofar business. Sarah likes the shofar yeah, business. Yeah, right. yeah, we are keeping the shofar. Yeah, good. <laughs> now I'm going to find out. I'm going to really oh, okay. investigate about these instruments. I was fascinated years ago and how old our tradition is. And we go back to the desert and wandering. And there's something traditional and wonderful about it. Yeah. And there's something ancient yes. about yeah, it, yes. right? So, Which is, you know, I think part of our attachment to it being a shofar mm-hmm. is how ancient an instrument and that is. the more ancient I get. And the more ancient we get, the more we appreciate those things. Okay, I think we will close it there. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.